welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This week we look at time and the role that time can play in leadership and leadership choices. Um, We've all experienced the abundance of time, the scarcity of time and the lack of appreciation for the benefit using time as an an asset for a leader. Um, We've all had that experience and we talk about it in this episode um, where we really start to see that time can play a crucial role if you're conscious in how you use it. As always, enjoy the episode. Let us know any comments you think that you'd like us to talk about. And yeah, have a great listen. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Show Up podcast. I'm Derry Hughes here with Graham and Jamie as ever. And we are going to talk today on the topic of time, which is a big, big subject. The reason this came up was we are currently recording this in early March and it is the thick of the Six Nations Rugby Championship uh, here in the UK, uh, or in Europe, I should say. Um, For any listeners outside of there or in America, you may have to look up what rugby is, but there we go. Overball, different shape to a pigskin. Yeah, American football without the helmets. Think of it like that. and I, watching the rugby, I was reflecting because England, the England rugby team changed their coach recently. And they had a coach, Eddie Jones, who has an incredible reputation. He's an Australian coach. He has led Australia. He led Japan to a stunning performance at a recent World Cup where they beat South Africa for the first time in their history. And then he came in and he led England and he had a very early run of success. And then a pattern played out which seems to have consistently happened with many of the teams that he's coached over the years where that early success started to drop off and performance dipped and they replaced him with another coach Steve Borthwick who uh, at the risk of name dropping uh, Steve and I played a lot of rugby together as a kid for uh, county Lancashire uh, Lancashire schools and North of England schools Um, and Steve is a much more steady long-term building teams builds club sides over the long term a very different leadership style to eddie jones and i started thinking what is it about those scenarios that makes eddie jones a very effective leader in certain situations for short periods of time but his leadership style doesn't seem to play well over the medium to long term whereas other leaders do have that And it struck me that there are parallels there with the type of leadership style that you might see in very short-term intense environments in the military, for example, or in other sports teams, or from my own experience in consulting, I've I've done a lot of private equity deal-related consulting work. And typically they are three, four, five-week projects that are very short and intense. And you are working towards a very defined goal and you need to mobilize a team of four or five people to be extraordinarily productive in that period of time and deliver performance at an incredible level 
And that leadership style for that is very, very different to the leadership style that I now deploy trying to build something for the long term. So that this concept of the time dimension to leadership just struck me over the last week or so. And we've decided to talk about that today. Um, so, gents, with that, I will, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic of time and leadership. Jamie, I, I know you think about this a lot. I do. I have plenty of time to think about it. Good one. You see what I did there? That's, that's, the quality that's such of- a dad joke. I'm sorry, but that was so dad jokey. It was unreal. Well done. I, I know my daughter, when she listens to this, she'll be like, yeah, that's him. Doesn't even have to see the video of this. Just knows who it is when I open my voice, open my my mouth. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the concept or maybe introduce a slightly different way of looking at it. The construct of time is something that over the last few years, I have become more and more fascinated um, with and about, not, in, not only in my own experience of it or relationship to it, but how others interact with it. Um, and when I mean the construct of time, um, it is an important facet of how people make sense of the world, how they then apply meaning to the world, and how they interact with it and the relationship with it often determines how they get sucked into either working harder or working less or doing more or doing less uh, because of their perception of how much they have control or uh, space within it. So this just thing, time, just keeps showing up. I think it's just incredibly fascinating. And um, as you were describing it in the sporting context, I then think, where does time play a role in what I'd describe as the best of us? And where does time show up in the least effective of who we are? And actually, the, the easier analogy I've got is a sporting one, which is, and I'd love to explore this a little bit, which is, why is it the best best sports people are often described as always seeming to have all the time in the world, on the ball, in playing their shots, in working with their team, or individually, the likes of Lionel Messi. Johan Cruyff was the first one that people described as having seemingly more time than anybody else on the pitch. Pele, in football terms. In rugby, you've got Serge Blanco in the history books as being one of the great players of the French eras of their championship-winning sides. Like, How is it that some people seem to have more time in my or others' perceptions, described as having more time. And then when we're uh, at the other end of the spectrum, when we're not doing so well, we're always out of time. I, d- I can't make time for that. I don't have enough time. Time's against me. I'm under pressure because of time. But time as a reality has never changed. There's still 24 hours in the day. There's actually probably more time in our lives now, demographically, than there's ever been in history because the average age of mortality is extended in most parts of the world significantly even in the last 50 years than it's ever been um, uh, at any time in recorded history in fact there's an aging population in parts of the world now which means that there is definitely more time available to us in reality than we've ever perceived so how can we be flummoxed by our use of use of it what does that say about our relationship with it i'm just fascinated by it Great. Just calming all the thoughts that are emerging as I listen to you two chaps. 
uh, talk about time. I think, you know, for me, as I've matured through the years, the level of maturity is still debatable, obviously. Yes, I was going to say, it's really um, slow. <laughs> but um, what I've started to appreciate is that it's okay to take time. <laughs> when time or our perceptions on the time we've got appear lesser or greater than that, that time actually is. Because like you say, time is quite a digital thing. It moves. You know, we've got seconds, milliseconds, you know, thousands, millionths of seconds, but ultimately it's still a quite a it's it's quite a segmented thing that moves at the same pace. But it's our perceptions of it that seem to, you know, seem to shift and change. And I've always been a bit curious about those things that influence our choice of time. So yeah, it's it's a good one. It's good on me. And I think it's critical for leaders as well, to just start to recognize the role time can play in their intervention and activity. And I think it'd be nice to get into that a little bit, I think, today as well, just that that leadership piece about this, how time can get used, potentially. I don't know. Well, and I, I think on that topic, how consciously you have to consider time. Hmm. In the practical sense of what have what are we trying to achieve or what have we committed to do? Mm. And I think actually that commitment concept is really important because we do, Jamie, as you said, we have more time than we've ever had in, t- in terms of lifespan duration. We also have the capability to have more productive time in every day or every hour because of the the tools that we now have available to us to make the most of our human capabilities. And yet somehow many, many people seem to feel like they've got less time than they've ever had. They're, what do you think is causing that? I think there's a an expectation of productivity in every area of life that has despite the increases in productivity, the expectation of productivity seems to have gone faster and further. And there's a many, many different dimensions to that, I think. Um, but that ultimately comes down to people's sense of commitment and the commitments that they've made explicitly or not to do a certain number of things by a certain time. Which, which suggests to me, sorry to jump in, that there's, a, there's an internal definition of how much time I've got to do stuff because I'm setting myself expectations based on commitments I'm making. Absolutely. So yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, make a personal example, right? Yesterday, I, I was reflecting on this actually because I technically I worked a 14-hour day yesterday because I started work at 5.30 in the morning and I finished work at 9.30 at night. Now, I had various chunks of time during that day where I wasn't working. So between kind of 7am and 9am, I was with the kids and doing school run. Um, And between 6.30 and 7.30pm, I took my daughter swimming and did bedtime and things. So there were chunks of time where I wasn't working, but I started work at 5.30am and I finished at 9.30pm. And the only reason I felt the need to work at those times of day was because of commitments I'd made to meetings I had uh, a meeting I had this morning and I was working last night to get things ready for it because I knew I wouldn't have time this morning 
or some things I wanted to get off my to-do list yesterday morning so I could focus on other things during the day. It all came down to the commitments that I'd made. And as such, I was having to choose to use those units of time to do things. So I think I've, I've feel like the commitments, whether that's an internal commitment to yourself or a commitment within your team or an external commitment to somebody else, those commitments create time pressure. And that causes a lot of stress for people, I think. So there's a consequence in terms of the relationship with time and what it's feeling like it's doing to you, depending on what you explicitly set yourself or others as an expectation of what you can do in it. And therefore, it sort of changes that relationship with it. Um, that's, I, I think that's very interesting. I, I've, I've observed in the last two weeks two different types of relationship, two different groups of people. One is a, um, a multinational consumer packaged goods business that um, I had the pleasure of working with some of their senior uh, lateral hire executives with over a course of a couple of days. Excuse me. And one of them <clears throat> described to me that the time, the time that they'd had with the event that I was running with uh, an associate felt as if they'd been taken out of the jet stream of day-to-day -day life into a time bubble where they're able to slow down and see what they were doing and understand how they were showing up in it in a way that otherwise they never had time to do. Another group I was working with were looking to kickstart a program of transforming what it's like to work in their particular organization and the senior team within the group were in and out of the meeting checking their emails constantly looking at their you know watches to check what the next commitment is that they've got to go to and were literally not engaged at all and one of the people in that group said to me at the end I think some of this has been a waste of time because unless they're engaged, all of our talk is worth nothing. So, you know, several hours, each group, several hours doing similar kinds of things. One group came away saying, Ooh, my expectations were I'd commit something and I'd get something back where it would make a difference. But I now see that others aren't, make, aren't, aren't prepared to take the time to do this in the same way. And others taking, you know, a real invested interest in this and recognizing they're slowing down to notice what they're noticing about themselves, feeling that it was enormous, like a multiple of the value from doing a very similar exercise. So it's it's really interesting how the same thing can have such a diverse perception for people. Jamie, in that I was I was just gonna ask, in that um that second group where you had the execs who were not in the room mentally they were thinking or they were not in the not in that moment in time in that place mentally they were either projecting forwards to other stuff often i guess projecting back to things that have happened that they're still processing or um just not not physically concentrating in the room was there anything you observed about them that gave you clues as to why they were struggling to be present in the room and engaged in that session um that's a very great question um really good question 
Um, I could speculate, and some of what I saw is just really just triggering my own inner narrative as to what might have been the case. And I didn't check in with any of them, no three of them in particular, who were doing this. Um, some of the reasons that essentially I could associate with causing it, they constantly wanted to be in touch with whatever else was going on. And they didn't want to put that to one side and be fully present in a physical environment with the people that they were in the room with. They it's were almost like a FOMO. Mindset. I'm looking at my watch. I'm looking at my tablet. I'm looking at my computer. One of them sat there with their laptop open the whole time, tapping away, then looking up every now and again. So there was a, a literally a, a, a device related. I want to be in touch with everything else as well, either because perhaps their expectations they'd set themselves were that they would continue to be in touch with what was going on. It was a priority um, or that that was just a habit. Um, we did frame it as if you need to be somewhere else, please be somewhere else because you need to be focused on what you're doing. Choose to be outside or inside. And they still chose to do the, to do both. Um, why that was important to them, really hard for me to know. Really hard for me to know. As you say, there's could be, there could be FOMO. There could be that uh, they're in the midst of something which does require them to be uh, keeping an eye on things. Um, devices these days give you a chance to be alerted so you could be present in one thing and then actually make a conscious choice to go somewhere else. So you partition the time. So you're 100% focused when you're in different spaces. Um, but I think that you know the evidence of that group was that they were less practiced at their um, awareness of their relationship with time. 95 plus percent, uh, the majority of the people I spoke to in that group felt that time was something that was controlled by others for them. And their relationship with was one of subservience to time. And they were, ironically enough, mostly public sector, but not UK-based. Um, they said they were just doing their time with, in their current role. So the interesting relationship with both the way in, in language they were describing time and their, and their uh, contribution to what was going on, but also their observations of others. It feels very much like a projection of the story that the sun on, on them site going on inside themselves, just hearing your playback of it rather than actually that it's fascinating just listening to you both and just how that relationship of time really does start to influence the choices people make or the story that tells themselves or the way they see the world around them. So it's quite amazing. Yeah. Cause I think there's sometimes an oversimplification of, how do you deal with time in a professional environment? And you get taught the skills of time management, organizing your time, delegating time. And now the likes of Google, Microsoft, uh, whoever else, build in those little nudges of, do you want to make time between meetings so you have a bit of downtime? So it's becoming part of the day-to-day -day language of how do you more proactively manage your time? What none of those technical tools are saying is what is your relationship with it how much do you feel you control it make it take it share it value it and what's your role in it and those yeah. are much bigger and more difficult questions to have a conversation about when on yeah. a monday morning you're saying what do i do with my schedule this week but actually unless you become aware of those questions you may continue to repeat the patterns of use of time and your relationship with it every week, <clears throat> not realizing that you could you can actually alter that. 
Uh, and sometimes making the time, take it, share it, whatever, making the time to look at that and your relationship with it can really alter your um, perception of, uh, is it doing stuff to me? Is it in control of me or am I in control of it? Now that I have more of it, as you say, through I live longer, got better tools to be more efficient, et cetera, uh, and being in, co in collaboration with others than ever before. This for me is um, taking me straight back to one of our favorite books, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership and the the concept, the central concept in there of whether you're in a, a to me or by me mindset of the, things are happening to me and I can't control them or things are being done by me and I, I have control. Well, the other thing, which I've, uh, another concept I've often struggled with, which is related to that, is the uh, scarcity mindset versus abundance mm. mindset. And I've never had a problem with abundance mindset when it comes to, say, money, because I think there are opportunities out there for everybody to make as much money as they need. Mm -hmm. I have struggled, and money is a is a non finite thing, right? We we generate more money, and God knows we inflate the value of our money away, so we have to generate more money all the time. The abundance mindset, as a, applied to money, I don't have a problem with. The abundance mindset, when it applies to time, I've always struggled to get my head around a little bit because time is finite, and I think it comes back to this sense that you can control what you do with each unit of time that you have, or you can allow that time to be controlled by others. And my judgment is that many, many people in modern workplaces allow their time to be controlled in various ways, consciously and unconsciously by, by other people. And I think one of the biggest ways that time gets controlled is their own fear. So they allow their fear of not doing what they're supposed to, to do of getting bad feedback of being criticized to get in the way of being in control of their own time. Yeah. Like I know for me personally, that when I feel time compressed, I know I'm less productive. So I've try and plan my time or allocate my time to give me the space I need to be productive. So whether that's minimizing the amount of things in the diary, placing responsibilities, is it a today thing or is it a tomorrow thing? Hey, Jamie, you said about delegation. But I also wonder, I find myself wondering how often the industrial revolution has influenced out subconsciously influenced our perceptions of time because it's been a competitive edge for years. I still remember reading a story of um, the first, um, what is it? Uh, automatic uh, trading systems wanting to be, have their server room underneath the bank of England because that way they could have the shortest amount of lag time from the event happening in the Bank of England and the data being transferred and processed so they could act upon it. Because 10 metres meant millions over one kilometre away in Canary Wharf. And, you know, you, 
take it as far back as if you wanted to get, say, get to uh, the Great Wall of China, for example, from the UK. 2,000 years ago, you'd have to walk it and swim it because you'd have to get over the channel first. Now you can be there in 13 hours. So we, and we, industry has constantly slimmed down the amount of time it takes to do something. So does that mean that we're already apprehensive about the idea, well, we haven't got enough time because it can't be done at the flick of a switch? And then does that put us in that cycle of not feeling like we can, can take control of time when we need to, to allow us to show up at our best? or when people we lead need to show up their best. So when you say about time, I wonder whether it's more the perception of time is affected by our decision to place deadlines upon ourselves or have them placed on ourselves, and our ability to either negotiate whether that deadline is in a reasonable time to achieve the outcome that's desired or other things i don't know i i think that's it's really interesting i think it's, it could be any any or all and all of the above um one um lovely person who i now spend a little bit of time with more of a sort of coaching mentoring relationship um very recently we were just talking about how do we set up a frame for this year and it was about setting a new set of strategic objectives and so on and so forth where that person has now taken on a more senior role in their organization and was keen to understand how do i delegate better how do i manage a broader set of objectives and so on and so forth <clears throat> i said well there's a certain amount we can do on that i said but how do you how, how do you feel about time and space and um, their response was what do you mean by that i said well how much do you feel that you have to do it and how much do you feel that you have to create the space for others to do it, enable it rather And we touched on enabling rather than doing in an earlier episode. And they're like, oh, okay, so we've got to think about that. I said, yeah, thinking about how in touch you are with your relationship to space is important. And what really then surprised me was, I said, what's your relationship with time like? Because it seems to crop up a lot in the conversations we have. And this person broke down in tears. And without necessarily having realized it, just bringing into the, the, the open this concept of time having a very important part to play in their life, the shortcut to the conversation is that person had said to themselves, I've got to do more in my life by the time age-wise that my father died. Otherwise, I might end up underachieving or not doing everything I want to do. And she had just turned the age that her father had been when he died. So subconsciously, there was something about the sort of the macro thing of time and what I can get done in it as a person that was underlying as a story for almost everything else. And suddenly putting it on the table how do I frame my relationship with it, recognize the driver it puts into me or what it triggers in my other drivers that influence all the other things that I can do or not do well or badly around delegation, planning, 
execution was probably the heart of what we'll work on. How to reframe that relationship and what is it about the story she's been telling herself about what's important there related to a particular point in time. They're just a really fascinating, really just, as I think we've just illustrated, there are so many different ways in which this is emerging uh, as, a, as a, an influence on a factor of and a function of um, how people operate. I'm just kind of thinking back to the Eddie Jones question. How can two people who are brilliant at coaches therefore have such different impacts over periods of time? What are, the, what, are their, what are their various different relationships with the deadlines they're setting themselves, the expectations they have, their relationship with other people's beliefs around this thing called time, wherein both of them are frankly world-class but appear to have different kinds of effects over different periods of this thing we call time. I think that's a very good question, Jamie. I, I'm just, I'm struck by that example you just said. I felt so sad about the person you described who their whole sense of time and the importance of time was intimately tied to their own self-worth as to have will they have achieved as much as their father in the same unit of time on the scale of a lifetime? I actually like a load of sadness has come up for me that the, of that as a kind of driving mechanism for the value of your life. Like, I think that's, uh, that's really hard to handle and a huge credit to them for having the insight that that has been driving them. I can totally understand the tears. But in that case, time is absolutely integral to the fabric of that person's self-worth. What am I doing with my time? Am I being productive? And actually, I, I'm I'm reminded of um, someone I know very well who gets very anxious about whether each day has been productively used. The idea of not making the most of every moment genuinely triggers significant anxiety in them. And I think, I wonder how, for how many people that, that is true, how many people that work incredibly hard are doing so because they have this real fear of not making the most of their lives. And they get all of that pressure from social media of all these people talking about the grind and the hustle and you know, you've got to do all this and uh, otherwise you're a failure or you won't make the most of your life. Well, my absolute pet hate is the one who, the ones who say that that meme about um, the definition of hell is when you die, you meet the person that you could have been and realize how far off them you were. And I think it's just such a horrible concept. Oh God. <laughs> Because how the hell, like, on what, on what dimension is this person supposedly done better than you? And yeah, so I like that. That whole question about the integration of time and the productive use of time with your sense of self worth, I think, is huge for leaders. I, I speculate then, like in Eddie Jones's example, is he fearful that he's not going to get his next job? 
So he leads in a way that says we need to get results now because results will mean I keep my job. I don't know if that's the story that goes on, but it could be a catalyst for him leading the way that he does. Steve Borthwick, for example, may have a different perception on the time he has because the messages he's learned from the leaders who've hired him may influence how he perceives he can go about the challenge that's placed in front of him. And I think that, for me, just as you were both speaking, that's a, th a thread that seems to come out here. It's how is your perception of time influenced by the requests and demands and asks that are made of you in a moment? Mm -hmm. And how much power do you feel you have to yeah. control and respond to those asks? And to the point, Jamie, you made earlier, that some people have that power and some don't. I mean, everybody has the choice to do or not do something they've been asked to do, but the consequences are different for different people. Yeah. And the I consequences may be too hard to bear for yeah. many people. I, if, you, if you bear with me a second, I have this image that's just come to mind. And uh, for for our listeners, I don't know whether this image will work. but I'm The audible Picasso is about to arrive on scene, everybody. So yeah. go for it. You remember, the, remember those um, <laughs> little sort of puzzle games where you had a, a maze inside a... Uh, Inside a glass case, which had got a little tiny marble in it, and you either had to roll it around to get the ball out of the maze, but there's lots of places where the ball could drop down a hole and then go back to the start. Um, but instead of the maze, I've just got this image of our relationship with time. It's a bit like having a marble in the middle of a very big, flat, wide, round disc. because there are not necessarily any specific categorizable avenues in the maze that each one of us um, are trying to control, but we just know that we've got to find balance to keep that marble on the board, whether it be our relationship about what control we have or not have over time, what expectations we set about what we can do within or using time, who's in charge of it, us or them, how do I feel about it? Do I feel excited by it? I've got all the time in the world. Or I just don't have enough time to do anything. I feel kind of tight in my chest when I think of time. And with any of these things, what we're just trying to do is to work out how do I balance this and be, be aware of the fact that I have multiple different rich relationships with this thing called time that I'm constantly going to need to be aware of. And actually, rather than becoming sort of so in the grip of one side of the, the, the scale or not, if you just tip it in any of those directions, where you suddenly become, oh my goodness, the ball's going to roll off and I suddenly get in the grip of whatever it's rolling towards on that disc and then lose sight of how do I regain balance? The idea is just, just notice what time is doing to me on any one of those dimensions. Um. And just keep just keep an eye on that. When does time feel like it's my friend? When do I feel like it's not my friend? When do I feel like there's too much to do in the time I've got available? And what choices am I making about that? And that disc and the idea of it um, then lends me back to the idea of some people, whether they are conscious aware, consciously aware of it or not, have found ways for the things that they care about to find a bit of balance. 
So to people that observe them, they always look like they have more time than they really do because they have the same number of seconds in a minute, minutes in an hour, hours in a day as we do. But they seem to be able to be comfortable with what they're doing with the time that they've decided to use. I wonder whether it's about the balance and whether, let's say, therefore, with Borthwick, Borthwick has decided the time frame for me is actually related to my inputs to create grassroots through club, through international uh, capability development, and time will show me what the outcomes of that are. Whereas in Eddie Jones, as a representative of potentially a different end of the spectrum, is in three years, we've got a World Cup. We have got to have made a change to what I inherited in that time frame in order for us to achieve a particular goal. And the context, ironically, over time changes. So what worked in 2016 when he took over may not work 2020. Hmm. Has he adapted over time, his context, or has his scale slipped? And he's trying to do something which was suitable for a post-World Cup disaster um, and not something that was relevant at the time that we've now judged uh, he's no longer fit for purpose for that team or the powers that be. So that's the image I had in my mind, that that disc and that disc representing the relationship with different dimensions of time. I can run with that image. I can run with that image. I, um, what came up for me was two, two different things that uh, make that dynamic. So one is you've got your disc with your ball bearing on, and one of the issues that we've been talking about is essentially people adding ball bearings to your disc and what those represent in terms of commitments and deadlines. And they make it, every additional one makes it incrementally harder to keep the whole thing balanced. And then also I was thinking, I had this image of, well, we're talking about leaders, right? So leaders are not operating in isolation. They have people that they are leading, collaborating, working alongside and to make, I guess, a distinction between being a manager and a leader, often as a manager, you'll take some ball bearings off your desk and you'll chuck them onto other people's. And as a manager, you can do that and say, right, here's your set of tasks that you need to get done. As a leader, you need to think very carefully, not just about the balance of your own desk, but the balance of everybody's desks around you and how you can ensure that they all stay in balance over whatever time period is necessary to get the job done, which could be an hour or a day, or it could be two decades or something in between. So is there something there about the leader's role in keeping these plates spinning, not just for themselves, but for everybody else? Not that they can fully keep everybody else's plates spinning and that's too much responsibility to take on, but that they need to be cognizant of the risk of knocking team members off the balance. Yeah, I would add, I would add con- cognizant and compassionate. I know we've talked about it in other episodes, but if you're being compassionate as a leader, I think that you raise a really good point. You've got to consider the ask that you might make of someone or someone might make of you. What does that do to the time that is available across the resource, both physically and emotionally. Yeah, that's great. It's a great response and great questions around it. Um, I had I heard that and I thought, wow, that's interesting. The idea of the other things being extra balls, extra ball bearings on the disc, 
and I and I actually had a different image in my mind, which was the more stuff meant that the ball changed size, and became okay. less easy, less easy, less easy to control. It had more weight, and it just kind of tipped things out of balance a little bit more quickly. But then the idea of when I want to get something off my disc <laughs> into somebody else's, <clears throat> is that another ball for them, or a bigger ball, or whatever it might be? But also, what responsibility do I feel then for? the consequence of that or do I just accept that their relationship with time is different from mine and all I can do is to help them become aware of how they need to become aware of learning how to balance it and actually they might turn around at some points if I was to be the person delegating I can't take that on my balancing ball right now because I know that I've got everything that I've got in balance and anything else right now might mean that one of these or several of these things which is part of the whole me that's going to fall over which means that the thing you've just handed to me won't work. Can we have a conversation about, can you take it on? Can you hold it for a bit longer? Can we find somebody else in the system who can look after it? And it's a very almost esoteric kind of conversation. But if we translated it into the, the workplace, new set of priorities come down, start of the year, everybody's working out who can do what. And that compassion that, Graham, you were talking about, how do we make sure we distribute what needs to be done, recognizing what people are balancing on their tables and how good they are at finding that balance? And as a leader, and this is the bit that I think for me is really pertinent to the kind of population that we've been talking about in some of these previous episodes, we think back to that golden age um, concept of the sort of 25 to 40-year-olds how conscious are people in that period of or phase of that, well, that time of their career to the idea that becoming aware of their own relationship with time and its different demands and pulls on them, and as they become more senior, more responsible for others in their organization, conscious of that being present in other people around them, how much do they take that into account? as they're working with their teams and their colleagues? How do they consider how to be compassionate and have good conversations about what's going to upset the balance for you to tip you into a victim of time, recipient of no time, as opposed to the Pele of the team who appears to have just as much time as is ever needed to do something really amazing? How do we, how do we as a collective find ways of doing that more effectively, as opposed to just saying, we've got 10 tasks, Two to you, two to you, two to you, two to you, two to me. We've done a fair distribution. I've got a different lens on that question, actually, which is because I think that is important, but implies that there is a solution that can keep everybody in balance and still achieve the goal of the team, whatever that is. And my question is, what do you, what do leaders do in situations where there isn't a solution for that? And either you have to tip someone out of balance, consciously or unconsciously, or you don't achieve the goal the team's trying to achieve. How do you, how do we deal with that situation consciously and compassionately? And number one thing for me that comes up as you say that is recognizing that it's not as black and white. The goal achievement isn't as black as white as people think. I think that's something that people get very hung up on. It either has to happen or it doesn't happen. Well, there's a, a degree of grey between that that you we all know 
exists. And I think leaders need to start to get comfortable with the idea and actually be curious about the exploration of, well, what is achievable and what could influence the achievement of that level of attainment. And be prepared to either renegotiate, recontract, appreciate that you've, you're on track and it's going to get hit as well, of course, because it is still possible. But uh, I think sometimes that tight bound, that tightly bound thing of it has to happen now, I think it causes more problem than solution achievement. Graham, is there an implication there that it's more important to maintain the balance of everybody in your team than it is to hit the goal? Because what you're what you're saying essentially is you can reinterpret or renegotiate the goal to something that you can hit. But yeah, let's so let's let, I'll give you an example that comes up right away from me. We'll go back to that egg chasing game that you boys love more than me, but I do pay attention to rugby and what happens. Let's go back to the Woodward area and the Rugby World Cup that England last won. I would propose that if there was perceptions on time and therefore tension on time, Johnny Wilkinson would not have been able to score that drop goal that he did. But when you look at the way Johnny Wilkinson performed in that moment where the clock was ticking down and there wasn't much time left, he didn't consider time. You mentioned it earlier, right, Jamie? There's some people that in the moment, time stands still. But I think what's more, and having observed this in lots of sports people, they suspend their association with time and the risk of it. So they can be fully present in the task in hand. With and their wonder, intention. Yeah, with their intention. So they actually just their apply input. what's needed in the moment to get the outcome rather than thinking, I've only got 10 minutes or 10 seconds or three seconds. And if he'd have, I wonder if Johnny Wilkinson had felt pressure from time, he would not have gone through his processes to successfully hit a drop goal in order to make the result that they wanted happen. Am I right in thinking, just playing that one back, let's just kind of roll the clock back. We're back in 2003, the final seconds of extra time. um, The scrum half has just made a break. They've just had another ruck. The ball's about to come back. There are very few seconds left. It's going to be the last play. And it's therefore, you think, okay, as you say, if he'd slowed down and thought, right, what's the percentage play here? If if I don't get this, we don't win, i.e. outcome focused, he would have chosen his left foot to do to kick with a drop goal because that was his best foot that's the percentage play but actually the ball came out and it came to his right side so in that moment he's gone i'm going to do the best with what i've got here i trust myself the input's here i'm not focused on is this going to go over i'm just going to have to go with what's right now but i would argue it's even before then because the whole team is suspending its relationship with time. Because if you remember the passage of play, they were, let's get into a place, let's get into a place, let's keep moving down the field, let's adapt to what the, de- the defending team are giving us to see how we can move it forwards. We know that a drop, we need three points. So it's either a drop goal or a penalty. 
The penalty relies on the opposition making a mistake, but we can't assume they're going to make a mistake because they're playing to not make mistakes. That's how they've been trained. He's also gone through all of his training to say, well, can I kick on both feet? And he's rehearsed that a million times. So his muscle memory is strong enough for him to have the faith in himself in the moment. Oh, you woke me up now, boys. Um, you know, he's, he's had that moment where he's gone, right, this is where we need to be. The field of play and his assessment of the field of play says, I need to be here. It, he's probably gone, that means right foot, but I've trained right foot, so I don't have to worry about that risk. And he's just gone through the motion. But it's the cool heads under time that I yeah. think is really critical. I mean, yeah, Jamie, you referenced Matt Dawson's run from scrum half to make some extra yards. He could have passed for the drop goal at that point, but he decided there was enough time to win an extra five metres to increase the success rate. I'm reminded of like the many, many times that Michael Jordan won clutch games with 1.2 seconds on the buzzer and everybody on the opposition team knowing that he was going to get the ball and make the shot and he still got the ball and made the shot many, many times. Yeah, And he also does state that he had that shot about another 900 times and missed it. Yeah. yeah. He's very he's very distinct in that. Just to pivot to a model for a second, because I'm a practitioner of this thing called Constellations. I don't know if you chaps have ever heard it, but it 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 helps groups and individuals look at the world objectively, really. That's what it does very powerfully. And it has three core principles: time, place, and exchange. So place, where is an entity in any moment of time in that system? The exchange, what's the relationship between entity parts as that system operates? And time, how does time influence the way the place and the exchange occurs? And in a moment like that rugby match, I'm reminded of where each player, each entity in that system is recognising its place, its exchange between each other and the opposition and the time that it had to do what it needed to do. And that, for me, when I look at life and the way we're moving through it, especially as leaders look at how they do it, I think it's really important to say, to consider how you leverage time effectively, whether it's an active leveraging or a passive leveraging of what's needed in the moment. And I, I notice as we talk about that, that rugby match where, you know, like you say, Matt Dawson, he felt he had time to increase the opportunity for the outcome that they all wanted. <laughs> you know, Johnny Wilkinson suspended any any belief that he might not be capable of in that moment or any con conscious consideration of that negative belief in himself. He just trusted himself. So, yeah, I think time's huge, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling like time is huge and we don't leverage it enough or consciously enough in what we do as leaders. That's what I'm getting to. I think one of the things I'm taking away as like for leaders as well is that actually the the mess the message to a team that we don't have enough time, we need to work harder, we're we're not going to make it, can be crippling and paralyzing. 
and actually and and risk throwing people out of balance such that that prophecy comes true as opposed to a message which is we have enough time to get what to get to an acceptable outcome and if necessary we're going to redefine what that acceptable outcome is but we're going to go in there with the sense that there is enough time to do what we need to do and be productive to the best of our capabilities and actually the compassionate thing to do is not to pile huge pressure on people which then leads to mistakes paralysis stress and lower productivity and that can be really difficult when as a leader you are feeling that pressure yourself if you're feeling that pressure yourself imagine what was going through clive woodward's mind in that moment this is the head coach for those listening he's the one who's tasked with being successful with this team it's in his job description it's in his performance objectives imagine if he'd seen the clock shouted we haven't got enough time and johnny wilkinson heard it what disruption would that have caused to him in that moment when it's all on the line that's what plays out for me as you mentioned that there and I know we talk about self-awareness as leaders and raising your level of self-awareness. But for me, a takeaway from this today is it's really important that leaders recognize that they may feel the pressure of time, but how they communicate that pressure can be a catalyst or the biggest roadblock. In Jamie's metaphor, the biggest planet landing on that table and disrupting the whole ship that someone works on. Oh. Takeaway for you, Jamie? Ooh, many, many. Again, go for those, one, mate. Go for the top one. The, the top, the top one. I only got time for one. We've <laughs> um, got plenty of time, Jamie. Don't worry. <laughs> Although you were the one that said you've got something to go to after we finished recording this, so yeah, hard stop. <laughs> yeah, um, a, a really top one for me is actually about that sort of distributed nature and awareness of how do we use time if we've got a team as a leader how do i become aware of what i'm subject to in terms of my relationship and my feeling about time at that any, any, any given point in time and then work with the people who are around me to not overbalance them by sharing my concerns my fear my pressure about time but equally, if there's more stuff to do, how do I find a way of distributing that in a way that doesn't disrupt the balances of the people around me? But what does that say about what I need to do in advance of that, which is how do I help my own team become more aware of their own ability to balance time and their relationship with it? And that's a little bit like the, how do we trust all the effort and practice we put in before those moments of critical importance turn up, like the drop goal, like the 10th, 15 seconds before that how do we trust all the practice we put in to know how we can then trust each other to focus on our intentions our input that sort of muscle memory of we're we're in a moment of pressure we recognize that how do we work best to distribute work to be done priorities to be um, balanced and our relationships with time collectively not just my own that's really one thing that started to emerge for me as a a really important factor in all of this um and it's all started from 
just a simple observation about the relative comparative um, impacts of somebody like Eddie Jones and Steve Borthwick, which I think is rather fascinating. It's amazing how many directions this topic can go in. I feel like there's much more that we can discuss on uh, on future sessions on this whole thing. Um, maybe, maybe another time. And Oh, we will make time for that, I'm sure. There will be plenty of time.